0: Dear Heavenly and Merciful Father, Lord, once again, we thank you for this beautiful day. And Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you've given us, the gift of life, the challenges that you put in our path to help us grow, to help us transform. Lord, we know that you're a God of love. Your word reveals it. Your character shines forth. And most of all, Lord, the gift of your law is a representation of your true, pure character. And Lord, so now we come before you in prayer. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds as we study this sometimes difficult topic. But with your help, with your leading, with your light, Lord, we know and we pray that you will shine the light upon it so that we can walk in your path. Lord, we ask this all in your Son's name, Jesus. Amen. Jesus, on the Antichrist. For centuries, scientists believe that the earth was the stationary center of the universe. And everything, including the suns and stars, evolved, orbited around the earth. It was a free-thinking Polish man named Copernicus who determined that the earth was itself in motion and that it revolved around the sun. Think about the story of a spider. Aristotle classified the spider as an insect. Now, we're not talking about some fly-by-night guy who didn't know anything. Aristotle was pretty smart, amen? Absolutely. He classified the spider as an insect. But insects, it was known, they had six legs. So for centuries, though, no one dared question the great Aristotle. And it was just commonly assumed that spiders were insects. And therefore, they had to have six legs. Then come along another man named John Baptiste Lamart. And he presented the classification of the spider as an arachnid, having eight legs. My friends, merely because something is believed for centuries doesn't make it true. Could it be that a tradition like one of these long-held ideas has slipped into the Christian church? Remember, we talked about tradition. That's what this whole week has been talking about, religious tradition. Is it possible that many have accepted falsehood in the place of truth, and very few people today even question it? It has just become common practice, custom, habit. Is it possible today just as in Christ's time, that his church could be setting aside a commandment of God to follow the tradition of men. A tradition sold that almost no one knows how it even started. A tradition nearly all Christians accept, thinking that they're following God's law when in fact they're following something completely of human origin. The book of Revelation predicts that Satan would attempt to mislead the Christian church at the end of time. Turn me to Revelation chapter 12, page 1182, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. How much of the world? The whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. We talked about that. Remember in the great controversy night, the battle between good and evil, Satan cast out of heaven? My friends, Satan is a deceiver. His goal is to overthrow God's throne. Now when we think about government, what is the foundation of any government? Where does its authority lie? In its ability to make laws. If your subjects refuse to follow your laws, they are really refusing to be your subjects. They're refusing to follow you. So, Satan has attacked God's law, his authority. But right in the heart of God's law is the Sabbath. We talked about it last night, amen? The fourth commandment. So wouldn't it be logical that Satan, the great deceiver, would attack the creator by attacking the very symbol of creation itself? Now, there are honest-hearted Christians who read the Ten Commandments written with God's own finger, and they see the fourth commandment. Exodus chapter 20 Verse 8, page 71. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. The fourth commandment. The God, God's law, His symbol of creation, his memorial to his creative power. Many sincere Christians are confused. The church that they attend keeps Sunday, the first day of the week, not the seventh day. How did that happen? Many honest Christians read in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, we studied it last night, that Jesus, as his custom was, went to church on the seventh-day Sabbath. They also read in Matthew chapter 24, verse 20, that his disciples would be keeping the Sabbath, remember? Forty years after Jesus died. Remember when Jerusalem was destroyed? Jesus, Jesus warned them about, hopefully your flight isn't on the Sabbath. Sincere Christians read in Acts chapter 13, that the apostle Paul taught an entire city to keep the seventh day sabbath. They read in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10 that the Lord has a day. Remember we discussed the Lord's day. And as they read in Luke chapter 6 verse 5 that the sabbath is the Lord's day. And then again they read it again in Mark chapter 2 and again in Matthew chapter 12. And remember, we talked about that last night. Three times this is told to us because it's important. My friends, I might sound repetitive. Are we going to accuse the Lord of being repetitive? There's a reason why he emphasized this. Many Christians are confused and they ask, who changed the Bible Sabbath? In fact, they ask, Could the Sabbath even be changed? Is it possible? Well, friends, I'm here to tell you, certainly God didn't change it because the Bible tells us, turn to Malachi chapter 3. Page 930. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. He says, For I am the Lord. I do not change. It's a one-sentence verse that's very powerful. The Lord says, I do not change ever. I am the same from the beginning to the end. So these Christians, these sincere Christians, they look at the Bible, and they say, well, Jesus didn't change the Sabbath. He kept the Sabbath. We read it. He kept it in death. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's on page 1157. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. My friends, God did not change the Sabbath. Jesus would not change the Sabbath. What about the disciples? They didn't change it either. In fact, as we studied last night, Jesus' closest disciples worshipped, preached on the Sabbath, found fellowship with fellow believers on the Sabbath, years after his death on the cross. Now, ask yourself this question. If anyone would know of a change in the Sabbath, it would be the disciples, amen? They walked with Christ. He would have let him in on that. Turn me to Acts chapter 5. Page 1056. Acts chapter 5, verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. So the question is, if God didn't change the Sabbath, if Jesus wouldn't change the Sabbath, and if the disciples couldn't change the Sabbath, who did? How did it change? Well, once again, we're going to look to Bible prophecy, right? The heart of the series that we're studying. And in the book of Revelation, we're going to find the answer, chapter 13. We're going to read about a beast that rises up out of the sea. This is the same chapter where we learn about the mark of the beast in 666. But I want you to notice how the beast is described. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 13, page 1183. Revelation 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. Having seven heads and ten horns and on his horns ten crowns and on his head a blasphemous name. Now my friends, a beast in Bible prophecy can be a political or religious power or a kingdom. And this power that's going to rise up is a blasphemous kingdom. Anybody know what blasphemy is? It's claiming the power and authority of God. That's a Bible definition, not Dan's definition. Remember, the Pharisees accused Jesus of that. You can't forgive sins, only God can do that. They accused him of blasphemy. So this kingdom that's going to rise up is going to claim to have the rights and powers that only God has. Revelation 13 continues, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. Now I want you to remember these animals, because we're going to see them again shortly. A leopard and a bear. And his mouth, like the mouth of a lion, the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. But who's this dragon? Remember, we read it earlier. Satan. Satan imbues this power with great authority. So the whole world will listen to it, declare its own laws in the place of God's law. And the Sabbath is going to become a particular point of attack. This beast, this power, is going to attack the heart of God's law, the memorial of his creation. In order to understand this beast, we need to go back to Daniel. Daniel. So we're going to go back to the book of Daniel, chapter 7. And we're going to find the same imagery that we find in Revelation, chapter 13. We're going to find the bear. I'm sorry, the lion, the bear, the leopard, and the dragon. You see, Daniel, chapter 7, gives us the key to unlock Revelation 13. and helps us to understand the whole subject of the mark of the beast and 666. Turn me to Daniel, chapter 7. Verse 2, page 864. Daniel chapter 7, verse 2, page 864. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Daniel's got a dream, a vision. He says, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. So we're going to find these four beasts rise up out of the sea. And each of these beasts are different than one another. Now I want you to notice this key to Bible prophecy. Turn to Daniel chapter 7, verse 17. Just turn ahead to verse 17. How do we interpret the Bible? We let the Bible interpret itself. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. So rather than trusting me that those Beasts represent kings and kingdoms. The Bible tells us that. And then in verse 23, thus he said, the fourth fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth. So once again, we see a reinforcement that these beasts represent kingdoms. So Daniel sees these four beasts that represent four kingdoms. These four world-ruling kingdoms that start in Daniel's day and then take us down the stream of time. Now, if you were with us earlier, and if you weren't, I urge you to get the CD. We saw four kingdoms in Daniel chapter 2. Remember those medals in the image that were represented by the kingdoms Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and divided Europe? Remember the head of gold, the chest of arms of silver, the thighs of bronze, the legs of iron, and the feet of iron and clay? And those successive kingdoms that are laid out by history? Well, you see, the vision of the beasts adds more information to the vision in Daniel chapter 2. It brings to light a power that would, during the time of divided Europe, arise and attempt to change God's law. Let's look at how the Bible predicts what would happen. And we can see clearly how history is going to confirm what actually happened. Daniel chapter 7, verse 4. The first was like a lion, and he had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. So this first beast was like a lion that had eagles' wings. When archaeologists were digging in Iraq, near the city of ancient Babylon, they found engravings on the wall of a lion with eagles' wings. In the ancient world, people knew that Babylon was represented by the lion. But then another nation was to rise. Babylon would not rule forever. Verse 5, and suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side. And it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they said thus to it, arise, devour much flesh. Now notice that the second empire is like a bear that's raised up on one side. One side is raised up. The combined kingdoms of Media and Persia got together and overthrew Babylon. And the bear of Medo-Persia, raising itself up on one side, represents the Persians who were overthrowing first Babylon, and then they dominated the Medes. So they got together. This beast represents that. But one part of that beast is stronger than the other. And that humped-up side represents Persia. Notice what the bear has in its mouth. It has three ribs. You see, when Medo-Persia conquered the world, it first conquered Babylon. Then it conquered Lydia. And then southward, it conquered Egypt. These three nations, Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt, represent the three ribs. My friends, you see how accurate Bible prophecy is? Once again... Look it up. Google it. Look in a secular history book. It is absolutely fantastic. Well, then a third empire arises. Turn with me back to Daniel chapter 7, this time verse 6. After this I looked and there was another like a leopard which had on its back four wings of a bird. You see, friends, this beast had four heads. The beast had four heads and dominion was given to it. So what was this third nation? Remember Babylon, Medo-Persia, and then Greece. Amen. Exactly. Greece. So what do we know about Greece? Who was their prominent leader? Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was just over 30 years old when he conquered the entire known world. In fact, Greece conquered the world so quickly that it's represented by a leopard with wings. Speed. Why the four heads? Notice once again how perfectly these beasts of Daniel line up with the four major world empires of history. See, Alexander the Great died when he was 33 years old. Unlike most kingdoms, Alexander's son did not take the throne. Instead, four generals divided up the Greek empire and each took a portion to rule over. the Four heads. The Bible describes a fourth empire. Verse 7. After this I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue. With its feet. That's a scary description, isn't it? It was different from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. Now friends, it's clear that this empire with the iron teeth represents the iron kingdom of Rome. And that's the time period that takes us up to Christ. You see, Rome ruled the world in the days of Jesus. Christianity grew during the Roman Empire. The Bible describes the collapse of Rome clearly in the symbolism of the toes of the image and the horns of the fourth beast. The image of Daniel, two had feet and toes of iron and clay, and those represented Europe. And the fourth beast here has ten horns. You see, Rome was divided into ten main divisions. During the time of the barbarian hordes, the tribes that were overrunning Europe, religious apostasy would enter into the church. And there would be a conflict over worship. And the Sabbath will be changed. There will be a conflict over worship. This is important. Remember, Christ, Antichrist. Christ against Christ. Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. So now we got this little horn. It says this little horn arose and was different from all the other horns. Remember, the horns represented kingdoms. So the Bible is going to give us evidence to identify this new power, this new kingdom. Remember in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, we just read it. It says, first this little horn is going to arise among the first ten horns. So if those ten horns were the divisions of Rome, then this little horn, this new power has to come up in Western Europe. It doesn't come up in Asia. It doesn't come up in Africa. It doesn't come up in North or South America. Its roots are on European soil. Secondly, the Bible tells us about the little horn. It says it would arise after the ten horns. So after these ten horns, then this little horn is going to arise. So we know that it didn't rise up during the days of Babylon didn't rise up during the days of Medo-Persia, didn't rise up during the days of Greece, or even Rome. It comes up after the fall of the Roman Empire. It's a power that rises out of Rome in the early centuries. The Bible also says that this little horn has eyes like a man. You see, eyes represent intelligence but it's a man's wisdom, not God's wisdom. It is a human religious system based on man's teachings. So this power is going to rise, and it's going to become this religious system. But it's going to have its basis of power in man's teachings, not the Bible. Notice what the Bible says in Daniel chapter 7, verse 24. Daniel chapter 7, verse 24. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and yet another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones. So this kingdom is going to be diverse. It's going to be different. It's going to be unusual. It shall be different from the first ones. It's not primarily a political power. It's a religious power. It's going to be different than the other kingdoms. So it's going to be a religio-political power. It's going to blend political power and religious power. And what would this power do? My friends, it would attempt to change the very law of God. Look at verse 25. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And he shall speak great words, great words against the Most High. Who's the Most High? God. Can you think of any other greater words against the Most High than to claim it has the power to change God's law? No, that's God's authority, isn't it? And to think to change times and laws. So, this power will think to change times and laws. This power would attempt to change the very law of God. Now, this is obviously speaking about divine laws. It's not speaking about something like tax laws or political laws, it's not regulating how fast you can ride your chariot. It's divine laws would attack God's law. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 8. We just talked about it in our question tonight. Page 866. Daniel chapter 8, verse 12. Because of the transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. He cast truth to the ground and he prospered out of it. This this power is going to cast truth to the ground. going to trample on it and get more powerful as a result of it. So coming out of the old Roman Empire, a religious power is going to rise. It'll be small at first, but it will become extremely powerful. And it will acclaim to have the authority to change the very law of God. So how did the change from Sabbath to Sunday actually occur? How did it happen? What happened historically? My friends, the change from Sabbath to Sunday occurred gradually over a period of time. It resulted in a variety of social and religious factors. Dr. John Eadie helps us to understand the roots of this change. In the Bible Encyclopedia, on page 561, he says, Sabbath, a Hebrew word signifying rest. Sunday was a name given by the heathens to the first day of the week because it was the day on which they worshipped the sun. You see, sun worship was common in Egypt, in Babylon in Persia, and in Rome. So when you come to the 4th century, the Roman emperor Constantine has strong devotion to the worship of the sun. He had inherited it through his family, through his customs. So much so that he even put the sun god on the coins that he minted. But he also had a big problem. Rome was falling apart. And Constantine desired, he yearned to unite his empire. So, how could he unite his empire? Well, he came up with an idea. He came up with what he thought was a brilliant idea. He says, Why not unite my empire under Sunday worship? He said, Dan, how do you know that? You can't know his mind, his thoughts. Well, here's the decree. From the emperor. A.D. 321. On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in the cities rest. And let all the shops be closed. My friends, Constantine called Sunday the venerable day of the sun. And he declares that all workshops are to be closed. In an attempt to unite the empire, he issues the first Sunday law. His words. In the days of Constantine, church and state unite. And this was in an attempt to Christianize the pagans and to unite the empire. The empire is falling apart. You've got pagan barbarians, and you've got these early Christians. Constantine said, I need to get everybody together, get everybody on the same page. So guess what? We'll take a little bit of ours and a little bit of theirs, and we'll mix them all together until everybody's happy. And deceived, the Roman government and the Roman Church united. I want you to look at an amazing statement. This is from the Catholic world, page 809, March 1994. "The sun was the foremost God with heathenism. There is, in truth, something royal, kingly about the sun, making it a fit emblem of Jesus, the Son of Justice." What were we told about idols? Don't worship them? Hence the church in these countries would seem to have said, Keep that old pagan name. It shall remain consecrated, sanctified. And thus the pagan Sunday, dedicated to Balder, became the Christian Sunday, sacred to Jesus. Do you see how this happened? Do you see how Sunday came into the church? Christians trying to escape persecution for hundreds of years, were seeking to distinguish themselves from Jews. So Sunday gradually became emphasized because of Christ's resurrection. And gradually church leaders, to make the pagan sun worshipers more comfortable to assimilate them, started keeping Sunday in the place of the Bible Sabbath. Constantine wanted with all of his heart to unite his empire. And the Roman church wanted to convert the pagans. So they blended their goals. And Sunday became the vehicle to accomplish both. So the biblical Sabbath was changed by the Roman church and the state. My friends, God didn't change it. The disciples didn't change it. Jesus didn't change it. The Catholic Church Council at Laodicea records the first prohibition of keeping the Bible Sabbath. You see, the Roman Catholic Church took the law of the empire of Rome and made it part of the law of the church. Took man's law. The Roman Catholic bishops met at this council, and here's what happened. In AD 325, Christians shall not Judaize, which they mean is to keep the Sabbath. That's their way of saying keep the Sabbath. And be idle on Saturday, but the Lord's day they shall especially honor. And as being Christians shall, if possible, do no work on that day. If, however, they are found Judaizing, they they shall be shut out from Christ. A law against keeping the Bible. Set aside times and laws. Change God's times and laws. So here we have a church council that unites with the Roman government under Constantine. And it says, we are going to shift the authority of Sabbath to Sunday. This will unite the empire and it will distance us from those Jews who are getting persecuted. We don't want to be lumped in with that. And in so doing, however, they were unconsciously fulfilling Daniel's prophecy in verse 25. Think to change times and laws. This power would change God's laws. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25 says that an earthly power growing up out of Rome would attempt to change God's law. And God says, Beware! I'm warning you of this. I want you to look at the Converts Catechism. This is a Roman Catholic instructional guide, and it correctly set sa- what it correctly says regarding the change of the Sabbath. Question: What is the Sabbath day? Answer: Saturday is the Sabbath day. This is a Catholic publication. I'm not making it up. You can Google it. In fact, tonight when you leave, you will get a handout with all of these quotes. Take them home. Google all of them. Test me. I promise you. They're word for word. So the Catholic Church says the Sabbath is what? Saturday. Why do we observe Sunday instead of Sabbath? Because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Now let me ask you a question. Does any church have the authority to change God's law? Absolutely not. Let's go to the Catholic Encyclopedia. Volume 4, page 153. The church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath. Notice it says the Jewish Sabbath as a way to try to get themselves out of what they're doing. Sabbath of the seventh day of the week to the first made the third commandment refer to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord's day. This is in their own encyclopedia. The Catholic encyclopedia states that the commandment regarding time had been changed by the church. Remember, think to change times and laws. Who changed the Sabbath? The Roman church says we did. And they say it proudly. They openly admit that they did it. Now by the way, some of you may be noticing the reference to the third commandment. But what have we learned the last time Two, weeks, or two nights this week? What commandment is the Sabbath? The fourth commandment. What happened? You see, the Roman power of the Middle Ages also changed the law of God by removing a commandment. Gone. The second commandment. The one prohibiting image worship. And I wonder why. They also divided the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. They divided that into two. So why would they do that, Dan? See, I want to talk a little bit about image worship for a moment first. The statue of Peter was originally a statue of Jupiter. In a concession to the pagans, remember we're trying to assimilate, the church simply renames the statue so they could have the statue but honor it in a Christian context. They took a pagan statue tried to convert it into a Christian idol. And from then forward, idols became common in the church. But they were staring at a commandment of God that said, Image worship is against God's law. It says, do not worship or bow down before graven images. So rather than getting rid of the idols, the church got rid of the commandment. (laughs) Leaving nine commandments. Got rid of it. Nine commandments. So the Roman power of the Middle Ages changes the law of God by changing the 10th commandment. It was divided into two. Now, why would they do that? Because don't you think people would notice nine commandments? Oh, yeah, that would jump right out at you, wouldn't it? Especially Christians. What happened to the Ten Commandments? Well, they couldn't have that question. So all of a sudden, (laughs) they're down to nine commandments, and they couldn't have that attention. So they... Got back to Ten Commandments while getting rid of one of God's commandments and modifying another one. Carl Keating, one of the foremost Catholic lay scholars, he wrote a book as a challenge to Protestants titled Catholicism and Fundamentalism. On page 38, he writes, Fundamentalists. When he says fundamentalists, he means people who follow the Bible strictly. That's what they call Bible believers, fundamentalists. He says, fundamentalists meet for worship on Sunday, yet there is no evidence in the Bible that corporate worship was to be made on Sundays. On Sundays. The Jewish Sabbath or day of rest was, of course, Saturday. It was the Catholic Church that decided Sunday should be the day of worship for Christians in honor of the resurrection. My friends, here's a Catholic author who's taking Protestants to task. And what's he taking them to task for? Because they're not following the Bible. <laughs> they're following Rome. He says, you guys are keeping, you, you say you follow the Bible. That was the Protestants' claim, right? The Bible and the Bible only? Keating says, whoa, whoa, back up. If you were following the Bible, you'd be keeping the seventh-day Sabbath. In his mind, he's dressing down the Protestants when in fact, what is he doing? He's making the case for the fourth commandment without even realizing it. He says, if you want to go by the Bible, if you want to really follow the Bible, you should keep the Bible Sabbath. That's what he's saying. If you don't want to go by the Bible, then you should go back to the Catholic Church who freely claims the authority to change God's times and laws. He says, Go back. Go back to the Catholic. What What are you protesting? You're not following the Bible. This is a powerful argument used by a prominent Catholic scholar. As as late as 1988. My friends, the issue is much bigger than one day versus another. Listen to what Cardinal Gibbons wrote. In the book, Faith of Our Fathers, you may read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you will not find a single line authorizing the sanctification of Sunday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. The scriptures enforce the religious observance of Saturday. He says, the Bible says that Saturday is the Sabbath. Once again, Cardinal Gibbons declares in the Catholic mirror, Hence, the conclusion is inevitable that if those who follow the Bible as their guide, the Israelites and the Seventh-day Adventists have the exclusive weight of evidence on their side, whilst the biblical Protestant has not a word in self-defense for his substitution of Sunday for Saturday, once again, a Catholic bishop is trying to take Protestants to task and in inadvertently <laughs> revealing their own apostasy. He says, the church changed it. You're also going to get one of these tonight. It's called Rome's Challenge. It's a little booklet. Easy read. This was written by the Catholic Church. I take no credit in it. No one here will take any credit of it. We proudly give the Catholic Church credit. And in it, it's a back and forth with the Protestants debating Sabbath. Sabbath. Some of the quotes that you saw are in here, too. And it basically is a Bible study of the biblical Sabbath. And it's the Catholic Church telling Protestants, you're not protesting anything. You're not following the Bible. Come back to us. Why'd you leave if you're not going to follow the Bible? You are basically paying homage to the Catholic Church by keeping Sunday. Their writing's not anybody else. Full credit. To the Catholic Church. My friends, the Catholic Church openly admits they change the Sabbath because they can. They claim the power to change times and laws. Whose law is it, Jesus's? If you're against Jesus' law, you're against Jesus. And how did we describe the Antichrist? The beginning tonight against Jesus. Now, friends, I'm not here to attack other churches. I am simply reading their own statements. The Catholic Church not only admits to changing the day of worship, but then they take Protestants to task for not, for actually following their lead, not the Bible's. They say, yeah, we did it, and you guys are following us. You might as well come back home. The issue, the whole issue is what is your guide? Is it the Bible or is it tradition? Is it habit? Is it custom? The issue, the real issue is does any human church, does any human religious leader, for whatever reason, for whatever motive, have the authority to change God's law as it was written with God's own finger. So, my friends, the issue really is one of authority. It's authority. Turn me to Psalms chapter 89. Psalms chapter 89, verse 34, page 568. The Lord says, my covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. God says, my covenant I will not break. The words I spoke on Sinai, the words I wrote with my own finger, I will never change. It's a matter of authority. The issue is, who is your master? Is it Jesus, or is it the leader of a church? What is the foundation of your faith? Is it the Bible, or is it what man says? What is the basis of authority in spiritual matters? The church, or God's will? To give up the Bible Sabbath, given by God as a sign of his creative authority, does matter, my friends. Here's the question that needs to be asked. What's going to be our guide? What's going to guide our lives? Is it going to be the Bible? God's word? Truth? Or are we going to follow tradition? Now friends, I know this question can come close to home. It can come close to a person. I know it can. I was not always a Sabbath keeper. I was not born into that. I found it in the Bible. And I decided that the Bible was going to lead my life regardless of where that led. I know you can answer this question in your mind. But then you're going to have to answer, what am I going to tell other people? What am I going to say to my boss, my mother, my grandmother? How do I explain to the people at the church? As I said, I know this question comes close to people. It came close to me. But we must remember what God said in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. He says, them that honor me, I will honor. The Lord said, honor me, and I will honor you. If you decide to put Jesus first, God will bless you, and you will experience joy and peace. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Who made us? Jesus. Who died for us? Jesus. Who suffered for us? Jesus. Who was risen from the dead for us? Jesus. Who redeemed us? Jesus. Can you honestly look in that face of Jesus and say, I don't want to be surrendered to your will? Is there anything that you wouldn't surrender to Jesus when you know that he has given his whole life for you? My friends, it's an honor for anyone to follow God. It's an honor for anyone to follow Jesus Christ, amen? In fact, when we love God, and we when we respond to what he has done for us in Jesus, we are drawn into a path of loving obedience. And his will will be done in our lives. We have to ask ourselves tonight, what is going to be the foundation of our lives? Sometimes what would otherwise be clear becomes clouded because of our history because of our traditions. We become like robots and we just go through the motions and we don't think. And God said, come, reason with me. But we must remember, I beg you, my friends, to remember what we have discovered. We are saved by grace through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. And remember what faith really is. A man was in desperate need of health. His servant was desperately ill. And someone said to Jesus, he's a good man. He has helped the church and his servant is dying. Will you come down to his house and heal this poor man? Jesus said, absolutely, I will go. But then the man sends a message and says, don't come. Just speak the word. Just speak the word only, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says, I have never seen faith like this. My friends, he didn't hope that he'd be healed, he didn't dream that he'd be healed. He said, If you say the word, he will be healed. He believed, he trusted, he said, If you say it, it's true. So how was this faith? The man expected the word of God to do exactly what it said it would do. And that is faith. When we come to the Bible and we read the word of God, we say, I believe that. And that's faith. You see, faith takes a hold of the word of God because it is the word of God. Faith says the Bible says it, so let it be done in my life. Now, I've put this slide up here, this quote up here, almost every night. John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. You see, there was a time when Jesus was at a wedding feast, and Mary said to the servants, Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now, friends, that's great advice. That's the best advice. Amen. Mother knows best, amen? (laughs) Whatever Jesus tells us to do, we want to do. And when he says, remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, we take a hold of it because it's God's will for our lives and the blessings of which God offers us. It was Jesus himself who said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He wasn't saying, if you love me, prove it to me. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you love me, something's going to happen. Something miraculous, something powerful. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because you'll want to. Not because you have to. Jesus doesn't work out of force. He doesn't work out of coercion. He works out of love. My friends, I would much rather follow what God gave to Adam in the Garden of Eden. I would much rather follow what God gave to Moses in the Ten Commandments. I would much rather follow the example of Jesus Christ himself. What about you? God says the Sabbath is a great sign. It is a sign of our loyalty to Christ. It is a sign. We believe he created our world. Remember, it's a memorial to his creation. It is a sign that we all want to follow his word. Turn to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, page 1184. That's why in the last days of earth's history, we read God's word says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In the last days of earth's history, God is going to have a people who love Jesus. They love him so much, they choose to obey him. My friends, it's more than a matter of days. In the garden of Eden, Satan said to Eve, what difference does a tree make? All trees are alike. And Eve lost Eden because she believed that lie. And many Christians today are buying into deception. People are saying, what difference does a a day make? All days are alike. My friends, with God, all days are not alike. One day was blessed by God, the seventh day. One day was sanctified by God and set aside the seventh day. And my friends, God rested only on one day, and that's the seventh day. The issues that we're dealing with here are bigger than a day. We're dealing with authority. We're dealing with issues of obedience. Who is going to be the authority in your life? Christ or Antichrist? For Christ or against Christ? Our choice is clear. The Bible or tradition? Jesus, or religious leaders. God's law, or man's dogmas. God's instruction, or human teaching. God's way, or man's way. My friends, the choice is clear. And God says to you and to me tonight, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house We will serve the Lord. Choose. Remember free will? I spent an entire night discussing free will. Can you say tonight, yes, I choose Jesus. Yes, I choose his way. I choose to lovingly obey his law. Now sometimes the question is asked, are you suggesting that everybody that keeps Sunday is lost? Sometimes people ask that question. Let me make it plain. Everybody who keeps Sunday is not lost. There are many Sunday-keeping Christians who love Jesus Christ. They are living up to all the light they know. When they learn more, they're willing to follow it. All over the world, tens of thousands are hearing God's call. They are stepping out for his truth. Would you like to say tonight, yes, Lord, you have revealed truth to me and I, like Joshua, choose to follow you. I want to follow Jesus today. My friends, Jesus is calling us all today. He is calling us to step outside from the crowd, to step outside from tradition. He is calling us to follow him. He is calling you to obey him. He is appealing to you. To accept his word and his word alone as the basis of your faith. Now tonight, we're going to have an opportunity to express to Jesus what is in our heart in regards to following him. My friends are going to hand out some cards. And they're going to be slightly specific. They're going to look just like this. Trust me, I'm not going to mail you any junk mail. I'm not not asking for any of that. So my friends are going to hand these out. It's titled, Jesus on Religious Tradition Part 2, My Response. So put your name on the card. And I'm going to go down through the options. And you can select the ones that are on your heart. No one's going to look at your card but me. The first one is, I love Jesus and I want to follow him completely. If that's your wish, check that box. Number two, it is clear from the Bible that the seventh day of the week, Saturday, is the true Bible Sabbath and is a sign of his power as creator and redeemer. If you believe that, check that box. Number three, in in loving response to Jesus, I desire to keep all of God's commandments by his grace through faith, including the fourth, to keep the Sabbath holy. Number four, I would like more study material on the Sabbath. Number five, I have a Bible question regarding the Sabbath. And if you have that, write it on the back. And I'm going to give you an option six. If you want to visit for me, write that on the back. And I promise you I'll visit. And we can talk through this. We can talk through anything in the Bible. Make sure you write your name on the top. And then when you leave tonight, there'll be two gentlemen by the doors. Hand it to them. They will collect them and give them to me. I promise you, just I will go through these. But more more importantly, the Lord will know your heart. The Lord will know what's on your heart. He will know your decisions. He will know your feelings. My friends, the Holy Spirit is calling to every one of us to come into a loving obedience. My friends, it's my deepest wish that you study this material. Take the handouts that I give you tonight. Go to your Bibles. Play the audio. Again, I'm not here to attack any church. I simply reveal what the Bible revealed. And I simply reveal what that power says themselves. Are you for Christ or are you against Christ? That's the question. Authority, it's worship. The heart of the battle is worship. Who will you worship? Who will you love? Please join me in a word of prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the grace that you've extended us. And Lord, we thank you for the shedding of your dear blood, for the forgiveness of our sins, and for your long-suffering and patience, your continued calling on us to come back to you. And Lord, we thank you tonight for pouring out these truths, for revealing this light. For some it may be new light, Lord, and I ask you to please continue to speak to their hearts, continue to draw them to your Bible, help them to search out the truth, help them to discover your loving, Guidance, your law, your character. And Lord, as we discover new truth, we're going to be under attack by the enemy. And I just ask you to please gird up the defenses around these dear souls. Help them to withstand the attacks. Strengthen their faith by revealing your truth to their hearts. Keep them safe. Continue to speak to them. Continue to bring them back to study your word, to help them to transform their characters to be like you. But most of all, Lord, deliver us all into glory. Lord, I ask you, please, to protect these dear souls as they travel. Grant them traveling mercies. Bring them back safely. Bring them back into your fold. Lord, we ask this all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.